So, firstly, thank you very much for uh, coming to my show. Sure. Thanks for having me. So, I have gone through your profile. I came to know that uh, you are a CDN uh, network engineer in Netflix. Yeah, I'm a CDN reliability engineer. So, basically, an SRE uh, on the Open Connect team that runs all of Netflix's global content delivery. So, before talking about you and uh, your job, uh, can you please introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Uh, I'm Nathan. Uh, I uh, grew up on the East Coast of the US and moved out to the West Coast about five years ago. I uh, went to university in Scotland um, and I've worked in uh, various types of networking, done a few startups. Um, currently live out in the middle of nowhere in Washington using uh, Starlink as my connectivity. And uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, how much experience do you have? as a CDN uh, reliability engineer? Uh, I've been doing this job for a little over three years now. Um, prior to that, I did a startup that was working on some uh, CDN related stuff. Um, and then prior to this role, I was working at Amazon Web Services on uh, internet monitoring and uh, network measurement projects. And prior to that, I was working at Comcast on internet quality of experience and network measurement. So you do field work or? Uh, Sorry, what was the question? Uh, what, what, what is your job uh, means, uh, CDN uh, reliability engineer, what it mean? Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty variable role. So it'll be anything from troubleshooting issues on our various servers to working with our partner networks to develop you know, new plans for added capacity. Um, troubleshooting issues with internet connectivity and packet loss or um, increased latency around the world. If, you know, if there's a submarine cable cut, trying to determine, you know, what happened there, how we can route around it, things like that. And there's also, you know, occasional software writing for automation, um, creating Tableau dashboards or other custom dashboards, Python notebooks, Jupyter notebooks for looking at data, creating new SQL tables, running queries. All kinds of stuff. Netflix have its own uh, data centers all around the world? Uh, we do co-location largely, and we also have our embedded appliances. So we give servers to internet service providers to host on their own network. Um, so we don't actually build any data centers, but we go to people like CoreSight or Equinix um, who have you know strategically placed data centers in key markets around the world, like you know London, Amsterdam, New York, Seattle, Denver those kind of places that have a lot of good internet connectivity. So what do you learn as a CDN reliability engineer? Oh, I've learned a ton. I've learned a lot about how Netflix works. Um, I've learned a lot about how our partners kind of interact with Netflix and how they think about um, Netflix video traffic. I've learned a bit about you know video encoding, um, video delivery. I'd never used FreeBSD before, so I've learned quite a bit about FreeBSD uh, as an operating system. Um, learned a lot about hardware-related stuff, NVMe disks, um, fancy network cards, all that kind of stuff. Learned quite a lot more about AnyCast routing, all kinds of things. It's a long list. So your job is a mixture of software and hardware? Yeah, it's a mixture of everything. Operations uh, of the operating system, the network, um, data analysis, data pipelines, um, 
software, working on hardware. Yeah, it can really be a mix of things. It's really full stack from, um, you know, little hardware issues to kind of like partner interactions at a less technical level, um, more like, you know, business, you know, talking about traffic exchange volumes and things like that. So what is the thing that uh, you cannot forget in your experience as a, a CDM uh, reliability engineer? Any particular situation or any particular issue that you fixed? Uh, I guess kind of a fun one. I did a, a, an interesting optimization to go through all of our servers and tweak the, the fan controller settings and ended up saving uh, way more power than I expected I would. Um, so that was kind of fun, I guess, a little environmentally friendly project to reduce our power consumption a bit. So you love servers, data centers, and exchanging information uh, between uh, servers. Yeah, yeah, it's something that I have had interest in for a long time now, probably going on uh, 12 years or more at this point. Um, since before I graduated high school, I guess, I was working on a small startup doing virtual servers and working on people with various networking things. Um, so yeah, probably since I was like, you know, 15 or something, I've been interested in like the internet and, and how it all works. And it's been cool to be a part of it now, um, working on like IPv6 deployment and network optimization and all that kind of stuff. So you studied in Scotland? I did, yeah. I went to the University of St. Andrews and did a degree in computer science there. So how that computer science degree helped you uh, to become uh... Uh, whatever you are today. <laughs> I, I would say it didn't have a huge amount of impact. Um, I think having the degree looks good, um, but in my case, I had uh, already started interning at Comcast prior to college, and I think that if I even didn't have a degree, there's a chance that they would have hired me. I mean, my degree was very practical, um, so there was a lot of hands-on coding, so I've definitely written a lot more code than a lot of people seem to have done from other computer science programs that I've spoken to. Um, so I think that part of it was important. And there was also just a lot of like, um, you know, here's a project, you know, good luck. It's, you know, it's in Haskell now, like have fun. Um, so a lot of just like uh, being dropped into things and, ha and having to figure it out. So I think that was important. Um, so I would say a mix of important and not important, like the networking stuff that I learned, like I was correcting the professor on stuff. And like that was one of the classes where I got a perfect grade on something because I made the code uh, IETF RFC compliant for some kind of streaming protocol or something. And the professor was like, yeah, yeah you know more than me on this. So you get a perfect grade. Fine. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the other stuff was not my area of expertise. So I did learn a lot about you know, computational complexity and, you know, Boolean algebra and all kinds of things that are, you know, occasionally of use. So how was your first job and what was uh, that about? Uh, I guess technically my first real job in computer stuff or really anything was working for my high school's IT administrator. So I worked on like imaging Windows computers and I helped him set up a VMware clusters so he could virtualize like the mail server and stuff like that. Um, and then I guess my first like more legit job was an intern on the, um, I forget what the team was called at the time, but uh, you know, broadband internet experience team at Comcast basically. And I was working on IPv6 testing and deployment. 
So making sure that various routers and switches and modems would all work together um, and appropriately do, you know, IPv6 prefix delegation, router advertisements, all that kind of stuff. Is that easy at that time? Uh, it was not something that I'd really done that much of before the specifics. I mean, it was like, you know, load stuff up in Wireshark, you know, plug stuff in, unplug it, change some settings, make sure that all the packets, you know, look right. Um, so no, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was, a, it was, you know, easy enough to ramp into, I guess. And it was like in my wheelhouse, um, of stuff that I was like familiar with at least, but definitely a lot, of, a lot to learn. So you understand all the internet service providers in the world? Uh, that may be a bit of a stretch, but I have a better knowledge than most about uh, internet providers and kind of the topology and um, you know practical operations of the internet. There's you know not that many people that kind of deal with like internet stuff. So tell me about Starlink, uh, which didn't came to India still. Oh yeah, I, I've been a customer since uh, since June. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. I have to drive uh, 16 miles to get cell phone coverage. Um, so Starlink has been a godsend. It works really, really well. Um, I'm excited to see how they progress further. I think that'll be a great project to get you know, high-speed internet to more people. So what is the difference between other network uh, services and uh, Starlink? Uh, I guess the innovative part is that they're using low Earth orbit satellites instead of geostationary orbit satellites. So um, most current broadband providers that use satellites uh, launch to a 35,000 kilometer orbit that rotates at the same speed as the Earth. So the satellite's always pointing at the same spot on the Earth. So you only need one satellite to cover like most of North America or most of one side of the Earth. Uh, but the problem is, is that that's 250 milliseconds each way. So there's a 500 millisecond round trip time whereas Starlink is operating at about 500 kilometers, uh, which means that the theoretical minimum round trip time is on the order of you know 10 milliseconds or something, which means it's much closer to traditional broadband like DSL, but it means that you need way more satellites. So thanks to their ability to really reduce their launch costs with Falcon 9 and eventually Starship, I guess, um, they'll be able to put up way more satellites than traditional providers and do so way faster. So how much time it takes to uh, come uh, to uh, all, over, uh, all over the world? Uh, right now, I think the the delay is just the uh, where they put ground stations. So right now, the satellites don't have the laser links to talk to each other. So that means that the satellite has to be able to see your dish and see a ground station within a certain radius of about 940 kilometers. Um, so they've had those ground stations built all over the United States. There's like 50 plus in the US and several in UK and uh, Isle of Man and Ireland and all over the place, but I, it just takes time because you have to secure those sites and build the dishes and ship them around the world and secure, you know, fiber and transport capacity to those sites. Um, so I think it'll happen. I don't know when. I know that they're uh, they're hiring for people in India and um, they're looking to expand there. I think that they have like a head of India now. Um, so I, I'd expect to see it there in the next year or less i would guess so what exactly your responsibilities my responsibilities uh all kinds of stuff um it depends what i'm on call for or whether i'm on call and what projects i'm working on um 
currently I've been doing some looking into some data that we have for uh, more accurately measuring the round trip time of our clients. Um, so how, how much latency there is between our servers and our clients. Um, so we have another team that generated this data set. Um, so I've been going through that looking for, um, you know, interesting stuff or problems um, and seeing how we could make use of that data. Um, found a few interesting things already with uh, some data from the British Indian Ocean Territory and the Falkland Islands, which are not many people watching Netflix there, but uh, some odd data uh, nonetheless. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just one example, but also been working with a partner to troubleshoot some geolocation issues and um, working with another partner on some capacity issues uh, and just uh, it really varies day to day and week to week. So how is working with uh, one of the top uh, video platforms uh, company in the world? It's great. We have a ton of very competent people. Um, all my coworkers are awesome and very smart and all have a lot to teach me. Uh, we run a very small team, the Open Connect team, which does everything from like, you know, picking hardware, deploying it, building the network, uh, working with our partners, operating it, running all the software that does all the steering. Uh, we're about 150 people. Um, so it's it's a very small team that does all of this and we're running, you know, one of the largest content delivery networks in the world with not very many people. So uh, people with uh, your responsibility, what are their role uh, uh, before three years or four years in uh, on Netflix and what 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 are their role today? What is the change that is happening on Netflix because of you people? Uh, like what were they doing before they worked at Netflix? I mean, what is the advancement that you did? Oh, well, a lot of the people that I work with have been at Netflix almost since the beginning of Netflix building the content delivery network. Um, but we've added, you know, a ton of automation around what we're doing um, so that we can, you know, troubleshoot issues much faster um, and keep everything running more smoothly. I don't, I think we've had maybe one outage in the last decade that was caused by uh, kind of our team's actions. Um, so we're always, you know, trying to make sure that we, we keep impact to a minimum. Um, I mean, we've, we've grown the, the fleet a lot, so there's been a lot more servers and not a lot more people. So all of the things that are required to make that happen, automation and capacity planning and all that kind of stuff has really been where, uh, a lot of this stuff has happened. So you, you already learned, uh, uh Amazon web services. Yeah, we don't actually use AWS on my team directly very often. Um, Netflix has a lot of like wrappers around that that's open source, like Titus and Atlas and other stuff. So we have a lot of internal tooling that's not AWS directly. But yeah, I did work for AWS and, and get to use AWS products. So I am quite familiar with them. So how does uh, 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 content is being managed uh, on Netflix? There's a lot of content that is being generated, right? Uh, less than something like YouTube. So we have, you know, a pretty manageable amount of content. Um, we have a lot of clever software and machine learning that decides how to place what content where um, in advance. So that way, when you go to watch it, it's already like very close to where you are. Um, and, you know, if we have a new movie coming out, like Red Notice or something, and we think it's going to be popular, we, based on, you know, various factors of, you know, people, what people tweet about and, you know, all kinds of things like that. Um, we can pre-position that content to be on all of the, you know, solid state drives on all of our servers around the world. So that way it's ready to go as soon as everybody clicks play. 
So what are the qualities that uh, a video need to have in order to put in Netflix? Uh, in terms of like when someone films a movie, we actually have a public set of documents that describe our requirements. Like it has to be filmed in, you know, 4K with a certain aspect ratio and a certain bit rate. And there's certain cameras that are allowed and some that aren't. And it has to be, you know, in a certain file format. Uh, that's sort of outside of my uh, area of expertise. I just know that that exists. And then it goes to our um, encoding team once it's been, you know, edited and everything. And they run it through some magical encoding process that lives on AWS. And there's several blog posts about that. We do all kinds of advanced stuff um, like shot-based encoding. So like when the actual like camera angle changes and the video content changes, we can change the bit rate and the encoding parameters so that we get a more efficient encode um, for each individual shot in a video. So instead of like one set of settings for the whole movie, um, you can change it up like by shot by what's happening. So we have very, very efficient encodes um, and we do different encodes for different devices. So like, you know, lower bit rate encodes for iPhones or something and higher bit rate encodes for your television, things like that. So how much time uh, it takes for you to, uh, uh, for, for any uh, video uh, a content creator to put in uh, Netflix and for your work? I know it is out of your job, but just asking. I don't really know. I know that we can do it in less than a day, but it's in that kind of, 24, 12 to 24 hour time frame. We haven't really needed to do it any faster than that. Um, but there are stuff that we have on Netflix that's like aired, you know, it airs on TV and then it's on Netflix the next day kind of thing. Um, so it's it's in that kind of sub one day period. So like you mentioned, different devices needs uh, different resolutions and uh, different formats and different things. Yeah. Um, yeah, different devices have different things. I mean, it depends like what codecs you can play back. I mean, there's obviously like H.264, H.265. Um, I think we just did a blog post about how we're launching uh, AV1, which is like the newest, most efficient encode on certain televisions. Um, so yeah, I mean, our, our encoding team is great. They pay a lot of attention to that kind of stuff and they try and optimize um, all of the video codecs and encoding to show, you know, the, the best quality at the lowest bit rate on any device at any time. I mean, we support like 1500 different devices. Um, so there's a lot of different stuff that needs to go into that to show you the, the optimal thing at the optimal time. And we have some clever stuff in the streaming app where like if you're, you know, walking away from your Wi-Fi access point or you're on your, you know, on the train, on the phone and the LTE capacity is reduced, we'll just move you to like a lower bit rate temporarily and then move it back up when the capacity and the connection's better. Um, so all of that's like transparent to the user and that can help prevent you getting like a little spinner because we can kind of tell what's happening before it happens and make sure that we, you know, get down the right quality video uh, that we can, you know, fit down the pipe basically and, you know, not have you sit there waiting for it to load at a higher quality and just keep it going at a slightly lower quality that maybe you don't even notice. So how many data centers you have? all around the world, on the planet? Uh, let me see, we just put out an article about that. So we have uh, currently 17,000 servers in 158 countries. Um, I don't remember how many of those uh, sites we operate, but it's a total of, of 17,000 servers all around the world. And we have them from uh, Ashwaya to uh, Svalbard from, you know, all, all over. All kinds of little islands and you know, every, everywhere you could imagine, there's probably a Netflix server not too far from you. 
So how many data centers you mentioned uh, servers? I don't know. It's it's a it's a large number. The ones that we operate, I think it's it's under a hundred. I forget what the number is offhand. Probably thirty to fifty or so. So but even it's, it's more than that globally, because most most you know data centers they may be not actually like a data center. It might be like a you know a closet at a small ISP in Brazil or something. Um, they they tend to only have one server, let's say. So it's, it could be a very big number. It could, you know, thousands of unique sites. So any person from uh, uh, Ireland also can able to access uh, Netflix videos if they have Starlink. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I, Starlink is, is connected to Netflix. So yeah, we, we you can watch Netflix on Starlink. Uh, if it works, yeah, Netflix should work. So what about uh, data consumption and, uh, and uh, the, the, the electricity consumption? Uh, I'm not sure on the details of that. Um, we definitely, you know, you use data, but we're very efficient on that. I believe on the app somewhere you can choose whether you want like a data saver mode or something. I think it's, you know, a, a couple gigabytes an hour or something like that. But I think we're, we're probably among the most efficient streaming apps you can get. Um, in terms of like data used per hour um, and electricity consumption. I think we put out a blog post about this, but I don't recall uh, the details. We're very efficient though, because we're just really good at delivering video. Um, so we're probably among the most efficient in terms of like gigabits delivered per watt um, of any content delivery network in the world as well. So before uh, Netflix becoming the top uh, 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 top video platform, uh, it was it was in other other uh, it was about to sell. So do you know that story? What about uh what what was the before event? before starting uh, Netflix was uh, 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 it, it is about to sell to to other other company. No, I, I wasn't aware of that story. I don't really know much of Netflix's history other than uh, they started with DVDs. They tried to split it and call it something silly and then decided not to do that and then did streaming. Um, but the details I'm, I'm not aware of. If you want to tell me about it, I'm curious. <laughs> so now you are uh, storing the information and uh, you, you, you reached uh, many places, right? So how, how this uh, maintenance is going on? Uh, yeah, we do uh, software updates across the fleet, uh, like quarterly. Um, we have a whole automated system for that, and we kind of divvy stuff up so that we we take it off when it's not serving many customers. Um, we make sure not to do too many servers in the same location at a given time. Um, and before we do a big global rollout, we uh, test it in you know a small subset of servers. We do A/B testing. Um, and then we roll it out to our own servers first, and then we roll it out to our partners' servers to make sure that nothing goes wrong. We don't need them to go, you know, reboot it or, um, you know, play with the server or do anything like that. So um, that's how we tend to do maintenance. There's other, you know, ad hoc kind of stuff that happens, but that's fairly rare. So what are the key factors that made uh, uh, Netflix to reach everywhere? Uh, I mean, I think being early was a big part of it um, that we were, you know, one of the first doing video streaming and we have a ton of traffic. So it's in the interest of uh, Internet operators to take our servers and, you know, reduce their costs on their network and their network, increase their network capacity, basically. 
by hosting these servers. And because we're very good at just doing that, it's very efficient. Um, and, you know, they, they get a good benefit from it. Um, you know, I think other providers are starting to do this, but it's a little more mixed. Like with Apple, they, they're now doing like an embedded server kind of thing that they're trying out. Um, but then it's also delivering like iOS updates and Mac updates and maybe App Store things. So it's like a little more um, of a mixed bag of what it's delivering. Ours are, you know, quite consistent and we can be very efficient about how we use our partner's network bandwidth. So what are the challenges that you faced? Uh, there's there's always challenges. Um, you know, hardware gets old. Um, software bugs every now and again. Uh, you know, needing to to scale to you know more and more partners and and kind of managing, you know, thousands of partners gets kind of daunting. Um, you know, there's like internet trouble. You know, submarine cables get cut. You know, like recently there was. Um, flooding in Canada that took out fiber cables when it took out bridges, you know, we see impact from that and our customers see impact from that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just all kinds of stuff always going on. There's no like big systemic issues or anything, but it's just, there's always little paper cuts of stuff going on that requires, you know, love and attention from the operations team to keep everything moving along smoothly. So you did uh, even the infrastructure uh, work going to the field and uh, uh, doing the physical things. Yeah, I don't I don't actually do much of the, the physical stuff. I've actually never touched a Netflix server uh, in the flesh. No, that's not true. I went to our Seattle data center once and I took a server home. But uh, beyond that, uh, I very rarely interact with our servers like physically. Like I've, I've only taken apart an old one that we had um, that I took home from our Seattle data center. But beyond that, um, not a lot of, of physical work that I end up doing. It's all just uh, remote access. So you mentioned uh, uh, that the hardware is changing uh, time to time. So you are into this from last three years. So what is that change that you observed, that you experienced? Yeah, we've recently started doing uh, AMD Epic-based servers um, that we've been trying out. Um, there's a couple talks from FreeBSDCon that one of our awesome engineers uh, drew Put together he's working on doing a box that can serve uh like 400 gigabits per second from a single one u or two u server um, we've seen a lot more faster flash disks and more 100 gig NICs because of pcie 4.0 um you know hard drives are getting bigger we can put in bigger hard drives um yeah mostly that i would say moving to 100 you know more more 100 gig ports more flash beefier CPUs. Um, the, the other big change is uh, hardware TLS offload. So we can actually do the like HTTPS TLS crypto on the network card. Uh, and it saves a bunch of bandwidth of uh, traffic having to be encrypted on the CPU. So you kind of bypass the CPU a bit uh, for a second pass of the traffic, um, which gets you way more capacity. So what is the expiry date of the video that is uploaded in Netflix? Uh, it, it depends. Uh, generally, never, I guess, for the stuff that we produce, like Stranger Things or whatever, Netflix um, produced content. Um, for you know content that we license, it's, it's up to the licensing deal. Um, I'm not super privy on that stuff, but uh, 
you know, I don't, for something like, uh, I don't know, friends or something like it's whatever deal we make with whoever licenses us that they get to decide when we don't get it anymore. But if it is lifetime, so how much, uh, uh, what is the maximum uh, uh, time guarantee that Netflix gives for a content creator? Well, our content, we, we are the content creator, so it's, uh, there's no, it doesn't work like YouTube or something. So it's, it's, we decide what stays on the service and what doesn't. Um, so I don't think that that's really like a, a consideration exactly. I mean, uh, the audio and the video quality. Yeah, that'll, oh. you know, we keep the originals in AWS and like if there's a new video codec, we can re-encode a higher quality version. Um, and keep that around. So all the, you know, the, the raw 4K footage from the cameras that we require people to submit when they're making a movie for us, like we keep all of that. And then we do all the encodes and we keep all of the encodes on some of our bigger locations. And then, you know, a subset goes to a certain server. So like some of our storage servers can hold like 350 terabytes, let's say. So we put the 350 most popular terabytes for that country and that region on that server. And that changes all the time. So if you know a new movie comes out and people stop watching another movie, that'll fall off of that server. And if you want to get that piece of content, now you're not going to be routed to that server. You'll be routed to one of our bigger locations kind of nearby. Maybe if you were you know, in Belgium, you'll go to Amsterdam or something. Or if you were in uh, you know, Miami, you'll go to Tampa. Can they able to get uh, uh, the information in the same speed if it is moving from one to other? The latency? Yeah, it doesn't make a big difference for video streaming. Uh, there's enough bandwidth between those locations. Um, and we interconnect with ISP partners all over the world. So uh, we can do that without any impact to the quality of experience of the users. So uh, uh, I, I, the, the question that I'm repeating just now, I asked, uh, what is the maximum uh, time that uh, that that uh, the the guarantee that Netflix gives uh, for uh, a con uh, I mean you are the content creator so the audio and video quality you know you save in data centers you save in servers so uh, the hardware you know how much uh, uh, how much time it can store in it uh, like how many hours of video can we store or like no, how, how long? many years how long oh uh, we forever right like it's until we don't want it anymore I don't I don't know that we've the only stuff that we've deleted is like the licensed content. So like if we license movies from another company um, and that contract says we have to delete, you know, not serve them to customers by, you know, January 1st, 2022, then we don't keep them on the servers anymore because nobody can watch them because the contract says so. But like Stranger Things, that'll be there until Netflix is bankrupt, I guess, or goes out of business or something like, or the... The world ends, I guess. Uh, we'll just keep buying more hard drives and um, keep growing. I mean, the, the the size of everything of Netflix is growing slowly as we add more content. But it's not a, it's not like YouTube where just like people are just like you know <laughs> continuously uploading thousands of hours of content a day, and you're just like ah, I don't have enough hard drives. Like we, we can, we manage. Uh, it's not, it's not that kind of content. We're not adding content at a you know, tens of gigabits per second or hundreds of gigabits per second. It's, you know, on the order of terabytes a month or something. It's not a, it's not a big number. So how the servers are managed because, uh, you know, uh, from uh, natural disasters? 
well, we mostly haven't. We've had one data center catch on fire, um, and we, we're just distributed enough that it doesn't matter really. Like we can afford to lose a lot of locations, and nothing bad will happen. Or maybe there'll be some congestion somewhere temporarily, and people will get slightly lower quality video for a few weeks until we fix everything. Um, but our kind of mantra on that stuff is just like everything's distributed like we stuff has to be able to fail so we just stuff can fail so as a as a as a uh, engineer uh, how uh, fast you are able to give uh, the quality service uh what do you mean like how, how much how, time you take to fix the problems oh it, it really depends on on what the problem is uh, and uh know who needs to be involved to fix it i mean if a data center catches on fire like can't really do anything about that <laughs> like we you know hopefully they have part of it that didn't burn down and they can move you know give us some space to put the servers in the new spot or something um if it's like a fiber cut and it's terrestrial like usually those are fixed same day or same week um if it's a fiber cut on a submarine cable those can take weeks or months to repair. There's only so many ships and you have to get permits and all kinds of stuff. Um, sometimes the issue is with our partners, like in Canada, there was you know flooding, took out bridges, took out the fiber when the bridge washed away. Um, that could take weeks or months. Um, you know, sometimes there's scrappy stuff that gets done, you know, they'll just like throw some fiber across the river and like splice it and leave that temporarily working until the bridge gets fixed and they get a nice new piece and concrete and conduit and everything. Um, but it's super variable. I mean, it, it really depends on what's going on. And like, you know, we've had partners where like the partner's data center is burned down and they're just, you know, without that big data center for a long time. And that took out like a huge chunk of their network capacity. So that, you know, stuff happens. We're all over the world and for a long time. So all, if it's happened, we've, we've seen a lot of stuff happen. <laughs> it's uh. I don't think we've had like a meteor impact or anything yet, but you know, flooding, fire, wind, rain, you know, all that kind of stuff has definitely caused issues here and there. But it's usually, you know, contained uh, and and easily, fairly easily fixable by someone eventually. So different countries are uh, in different countries. They are uh, they have their own uh, uh, network uh, uh, service uh, providers. So can they able to get the same quality audio and video quality from this software called Netflix? Uh, generally, yes, but uh, you know, obviously it depends. If you're on, you know, like a 3G phone in, you know, rural Cambodia, I don't know that you're going to be streaming 4K Netflix um, like you would if you're on gigabit fiber in Boston. Um, but we deliver the best quality video that the network will support. Um, and as the network gets better, our video quality will get better. And we have the Netflix ISP speed index, which kind of ranks ISPs uh, in each country. And you can go see um, which ISPs delivers the best quality Netflix video um, or provides the best Netflix performance um, for a given country. Where, where you have uh, more, more customers? Uh, I don't remember. It's in our annual report. If you want to go look, I don't <laughs> Uh, we split it up between like North America. I think North America would be the biggest one, but it could be Europe. I, I don't remember. So at last, uh, do you want to say anything to to the world who is watching and listening to our conversation? Oh, I guess, you know, check out Netflix. It's pretty cool. Um, there's an article in The Verge recently um, 
that does a pretty good job talking about my team, which was uh, a look under the hood at the most successful streaming service on the planet. Um, so if people want kind of more details on how things work, you can also check out the uh, Netflix Open Connect website. We have you know, details about our hardware. We have all kinds of stuff that's publicly available about our hardware and software stack. Um, we don't really keep too much stuff secret. Um, and if you want to work for Netflix, we are hiring. We're hiring for somebody who's uh, in the European time zone for my team. So if you're an SRE, ping me on Twitter. Um, I guess you'll link my Twitter on the, the YouTube video or something. Um, yeah, and you know, feel free to, to ping me with any questions. So can uh, uh, only the movies are uh, accepting uh, accepted by Netflix or other 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 content also? Uh, we actually do accelerate all of it. So yeah, we have, um, all the movies and TV shows are hosted on our CDN. And then we also do uh, small object delivery. So stuff like uh, JavaScript, CSS, the box art images, all that kind of stuff is also delivered by our CDN. And then we also have a project called faster than light where we do, um, HTTP and TCP proxy acceleration. So you'll connect instead of connecting to our AWS control plane directly, you'll connect via the closest, um, Open Connect server, so we get some good latency wins there. Um, yeah, that that's a fairly new project and has been working pretty well. So at last, what do you say about my videos on YouTube? Have you seen any? I did. I, I checked out a few of them. I think it's cool. I think it's really neat that you kind of find uh, people doing kind of interesting stuff and and ask them good questions. I think that's uh, it's a cool idea. I think it's it's neat to find out what people are doing and um sounds like you find it interesting so i guess yeah keep it up so yeah so i'm sure in coming days uh, you, you your company reaches more people even the the the, the small villages in the world and uh, you people entertain them yeah yeah entertain the world that's our goal awesome so can i put this video on my youtube channel with your permission sure and also, can I put this video and audio clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Yeah, go for it. Thank you, Nathan. Keep going. Keep doing what you love. Great. Yeah. It was nice to chat to you. Yeah. Bye.